Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 13th, 2018. On today's episode, we'll discuss movie theater etiquette and talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, uh, before we get to the news, I wanted to uh, run a couple things by you in terms of movie theater etiquette. Uh, we don't really have a proper name for the segment. I think we're going with the temporary, uh, what do you think? I don't know. Maybe maybe our readers, or, or rather listeners, have suggestions. If you do, send them to peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, but anyways, um, I, I went to... Um, I used my AMC A-list to see Skyscraper last night um, at my local AMC theater. I will talk more about that at the in the water cooler. But I wanted to start off uh, – I saw it at a prime theater. And during um, – or not prime theater, uh, Adobe uh, Vision Theater. And during the trailers, they have like the lights on for the entire trailers, like fully on. And uh, people were on their phones and people were talking and uh, usually I, I feel like when the trailers start, you know, not the commercials that play while you're loading into the theater, but when the trailers begin, like the lights kind of dim a little bit and like everybody usually pays attention to the to, to the movie or to the trailers. Um, so I wanted to, to ask you guys, like, is it OK in this situation to be like on your phone checking, you know, Facebook or talking to your significant other next to you or is it rude? HT, what do you think? That's I've never seen that happen before where they leave the lights on during trailers. And I feel like that's a theater conceding that you that you can do that. But I don't know if I would. I mean, like, I sometimes talk during trailers to make like a snarky comment to whoever I'm sitting next to. Uh, not a stranger, but my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hello, stranger. Look at this joke I have. <laughs> um, but I don't think I would just like speak at, you know, regular volume and be checking my phone the entire time it would it just feels very strange to me especially since like until now i've always seen trailers as part of like the movie experience so yeah i don't i don't think i would i'd 
but yeah, it's, I, I, I will yeah. say this. Strangely, I was sitting there and like I got like you know my my phone vibrated in my pocket and I took it out because everybody else was like on their phone. And I like looked at it and I was like, this feels wrong. Like this feels weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ben, what do you think? I mean, I think HT's right. If the lights are fully on, that's basically the theater saying that it's okay. I, I think in so let's pretend that the lights weren't on. Let's pretend that the lights dimmed. And I, I should say like the. Lights were maybe at like seventy five percent brightness. You know, it wasn't like full on lights. Yeah, but most like most theaters, uh, at least main like multiplexes, they dim those lights like mostly all the way when trailers begin. Right? Like that's yeah. I'm not crazy. Okay, so I think in that in a normal movie going situation. I think in terms of like whether or not it's okay, I think it's like right there on the edge. I think any time I would never do it, but that I think that's the last window you have is when the trailers are happening because that's I think you can consider that sort of like extra material to but and like once the actual movie starts, you better put your shit away. Like there is zero <laughs> tolerance in terms of in, in my mind as soon as the actual movie that you paid to see is there. But I think trailers are sort of like this gray zone where it's still fine if you're trying to fire off one last text or something before you uh, fully wrap up. I'm always nervous when people around me are, you know, have their phones out and stuff in the dark theater during the trailers because I'm like, oh, my God, is this somebody that I'm going to have to be paying attention to for the next few minutes while this movie starts? Am I going to have to lean over and say <laughs> something and ask them to turn their phone off? Are they going to be doing this for a long time? But most of the time, people that I, you know, frequent in the theaters that I frequent, uh, they have their phones out during the trailers, but are, are generally pretty good about turning them off once the movie starts. So um, I would not really do it. Uh, not, I wouldn't make it a habit, but I think it's probably OK if that's the question you're asking. I, I mean, I don't know. Deep inside me, from the ethical standpoint, I, I think you are right. But I also think that, like, the bottom line should be, are we being considerate of the people around us? And too many people are still sitting in their chairs, even like during the tra trailers, during like this instance with their phone brightness, like fully up and yeah, like yeah. you should, you know, lower your phone Drop brightness that down. Yeah. And I'm not saying that makes it OK to take your phone out during a movie. But if for any reason <laughs> you have to, you know, why not set your phone brightness all the way down before the movie starts? Just in case, like, you know, if, if, if you have kids at home and there's a babysitter and, you know, if something might happen, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, be considerate of the people around you. Um, and, you, you know, I, I will also do the same thing, HT, where I, I will uh, whisper to a stranger next to me or to my <laughs> girlfriend next to me uh, dur during the trailers. But I will whisper. I don't think it's like, a, uh, you know, talking loudly out loud. But anyways, um, I, I wanted to use this... Uh, this opportunity to talk about a couple of things that have come up online in the last, I think, week, uh, a couple articles. And the first of which is uh, this article from Matt Singer at um, Screen Crush. Yeah, yeah. Screen Crush. Um, he basically put this poll on Twitter. It started with this poll on Twitter asking, is it OK to throw candy wrappers and garbage on the floor at movie theaters? Because he thought it was fine. And uh, the poll results were overwhelmingly 89% said, no, you are a monster. And 11% said, yes, it's fine. And uh, in result, he wrote this article on ScreenCrush.com, which I'll link in the show notes, basically advocating that it, it is okay to uh, toss litter on the, um, on the ground in a movie theater in certain exceptions. And he, he says... Um, 
obviously you don't want to put anything gooey or liquid like soda or nacho cheese on the floor uh and it's if it is any kind of food that you brought to the theater you should properly dispose of that yourself but if it's like you know candy wrappers with candy purchased at the concession stand and you know plastic encasing like a box of goobers or like uh starburst uh i guess he likes to eat starburst and like you know open those like well, by the way why are starburst uh candies individually wrapped it's so annoying <laughs> but anyways that's another topic um so i guess i wanted to pr- propose this question to you guys is it, is it okay to leave a mess at the movie theater you are paying for it there are you know ushers there to clean up the theater or in and when is it okay or is it just not okay at all hg i want to hear from you again no <laughs> this 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 question offended me i voted in this poll and over and part of the overwhelming no and i just i don't think that just because there is trash on the floor you should add to that trash matt singer's argument was essentially oh you know we spill popcorn on the floor all the time we don't bother to pick it up because we know the ushers will come and clean after every screening but that doesn't give you license to just add more trash there's still service employees having to clean up every time and i think that just because they're there doesn't mean that you should take advantage of that i just it just annoys me so much like even when my friend leaves like a soda um cu- like cup behind i get really angry at them like no clean up after yourself okay can i can i be devil's advocate here and this is not a a viewpoint that i agree with but what what if we were all you know so courteous to remove our trash then the movie theater would not employ these people like you know we are making jobs ht (laughs) i'm pretty sure cleaning up after the theater isn't their only job i'm pretty sure they're the same people who rotate between the cash registers and have to clean the bathrooms and everything so i think that we're doing them a courtesy by not making them work overly hard for a job they probably get minimum wage for yeah, this is a topic that made me really angry just because uh, I've spilled one time spilled popcorn all over the floor and I was so anxious about it the entire time. And um, I, yeah, I, I think it's just really rude and uh, not good as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what? I'm kind of in the middle here. Uh, I do think that you should clean up after yourself at a movie theater. I would never leave things on the ground at a movie theater. But occasionally i have left my cup in the cup holder and uh i don't know why like that seems okay to me uh i always usually take you know the popcorn and throw it away (laughs) um ben do you have any feelings on this i feel like hc is just a better person than i am because i i think i am sort of on matt singer's side here like i realized oh my god i did not expect this i'm just saying okay (laughs) if we all left like a candy wrapper or several candy wrappers after leaving the theater we would have just like a the entire floor would just be coated in candy wrappers and that's not good for anyone it's just like Builds up. It's like Wally. It's the end of Wally. This is where it's really, this is leading us, guys. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I've been in movie theaters in Boston, where, where I used to come from, uh, or used to live rather, uh, where I, I actually I actually saw during a movie a rat go by and, and steal like a piece of popcorn. Wow. And run by. Yeah. 
Um, so, so I'm not as extreme as like I will um, maliciously, you know, do this or like make a point to do it. It's just it's one of those things where it's like if it mindlessly happens during the movie, I don't feel bad about it. And maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe I, I really had never really given this much thought until um, I saw Matt's article and, and that Twitter poll and everything. But I think um, where, where is the that... line drawn for you? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, th- I certainly think that that absolutely like no, uh, you know, liquids or anything that would cause a mess that uh, that would take more than one second to clean up. Because my understanding is you just take like a, a broom or a big brush or something and just like, you know, sweep underneath the entire aisle. So if people are going line by line anyway, I sort of see where Matt's coming from, where it's like, you know, they're going to be going through that entire section. It's not going to make that much of a difference. And I saw that he he quoted somebody in his article that was a former movie employee that said that as an usher, time spent not cleaning a theater is often spent standing around and waiting to clean another theater. The more arbitrary uh, sweeping, the less time there is to kill. So, you know, as somebody who uh, that's, you know, straight from the the mouth of a uh, a movie theater employee himself. So, um, see, see, that's weird because I've known a couple of movie theater employees and like they have always been like cleaning up after themselves because they know the struggle of, you know, that cleaning yeah, the movie theater. I, I think HG, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I will probably try to make a better effort to clean up all of my stuff. I, like you, Peter, I, I take popcorn with me. I take my soda cups with me and stuff. It's just like if I have yeah a piece of candy or a little tiny you know a wrapper, a mint wrapper or a bag or something like that, a small little plastic thing, I might let that slip to the floor. But I guess I'll try to, uh, <laughs> to be a better person overall. But yeah, I, 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 I think... I mean, it also sets the example of like, you know, how much do we value this movie going experience? Like when we're just like leaving trash all over the place, like it it, it kind of devalues the whole experience, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. And I think that's also what HG's talking about. Like, it could be the uh, the inflection point, you know, like how, how far is too far. And that's our, um, in, in this article that that's on Screen Crush, uh, Britt Hayes uh, argues against Matt Singer. And that's part of her argument. She talks about how, like, you know, some people um, consider uh, the movie theater to be like a, a house of worship almost you know like you have this reverence for it so you wouldn't go around throwing trash all over the floor at your church or whatever so um you know it's that same sort of mentality you wouldn't at your church i wouldn't mind ben um (laughs) i I don't have a church okay uh let's talk about our our last and final article here for the segment and that is this article that was posted i think last week on slate.com by someone named Jason Gordon, and it's it's titled "It's Okay to Partially Bootleg a Movie When You Have to Pee," not legally, but maybe, or not legally, maybe, but morally. Um, and basically, this this uh, journalist, um, <laughs> put that in quotation marks, uh, argues that uh, you know they, they have a problem with uh, sitting for two hours without uh, going to the bathroom. It's been something they've. Uh, kind of uh, dealt with their entire life and one time during Dunkirk which uh, isn't even the longest Chris Nolan film right um, uh, they had to go to the bathroom and in a, in the moment they hit record on their phone and put it in their like uh, the cup holder on their seat and recorded what they missed while they were gone so that after they had uh, come back and saw the, the rest of the movie after the credits that they could go back and see what they had missed. 
Um, now, admittedly, going to the bathroom during movies is not something that I've had problems with. I can hold uh, my, 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 uh, myself uh, pretty well. But this seems uh, wrong, not just legally, but morally to me. Uh, this person argues that their screen uh, is dark while it's recording. I have not seen a phone that records with a black screen, so that I'm a little skeptical of that. But even so, uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is it okay to record a movie in the movie theater if you're going to the bathroom? I think if there were, God, yeah, this is something that like Cheaty from The Good Place would have a whole like nervous breakdown about, I think. Um, I, this one's tough because I, I think no is like the final answer. Like, just don't do this. This is a, a bad idea and and just don't do it. But I think maybe an, an argument could be made that like you paid for the ticket. So like... But no, no, I'm, I'm tr- I was trying to give this thing the benefit of the doubt, but I think this is so ridiculous <laughs> that there's no way that I can that I can even like play devil's advocate for this argument. Also, just to before we go to everybody else, this article also recommends that directors insert a pre-film PSA that indicates the ideal time to pee. And they said every scene is precious, but even directors can admit that one or two are calling it in. <laughs> like, like if, if that's what? part of your argument, that is <laughs> like I have nothing. Th- th- I'm putting zero credence in the, the, you know anything else that you have to say because that's ludicrous. <laughs> but by the way, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but there's an app for the iPhone and Android called RunP. I've never used this, but apparently it is an app that uh, will tell you the best time to pee during a movie, the the, the part of the movie <laughs> that you'll miss the least. So you can um, have it in your phone. You can start it when the movie starts, and it will, like, vibrate when that part is. So you could go, and then while, while you're peeing, it will tell you how many more minutes until you have to get back to the theater for the important start to, <laughs> to kick in. That just seems ludicrous to me to, like, even have that. Although, if I ever had to go to the bathroom, that seems like something I would use, but it's not really a problem for me, uh, you know, not to uh, – uh stereotype things but i i've heard that holding your bladder is a lot more difficult for women so ht has this ever been a problem is would you advocate this i just think that this is a very very specific problem for this particular writer (laughs) because it seems he just has bladder problems in general i will say i think that my bladder is pretty strong um, and I have only had to go to the bathroom during like a very long Pirates of the Caribbean movie in which there are a lot of scenes of water and I was drinking like a large soda. So that was like a very specific moment. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like this is something that he encounters a lot where he has to go to the bathroom multiple times during a movie. I think that he probably should see a doctor instead of writing an article <laughs> about this. I, I'm actually I, shocked that a site like the Slate, like Slate is like a good publication would run this at all like it's it almost seems like it, it's there for clickbait like do you know yeah like it's, that? it seems like it's trolling especially with that pre-film psa nonsense at the end like come on i think that's i mean you know part of what i was going to try to argue was like you paid for the experience but part of it is also the thing that that sort of supersedes that is like there have to be consequences for actions and like you have to live with your decisions and if you made a bad decision beforehand or can't, uh, you know, it, you don't get to have it all. It's like somebody who, um, you know, when you're driving on the highway, uh, just decides to cut off a bunch of people because they realize that their exit is like, oh, coming up, you know, it's 100 feet away. So I'm just going to swerve in front of, you know, five lanes of traffic just to hit this exit because I made the mistake of not 
preparing properly. No, you go to the next exit, turn around and go back. You know, you don't inconvenience other people. You don't get to have it both ways. So I don't, I don't know. This is ridiculous. The PSA thing is weird, but I don't understand why he didn't just ask or like recommend the uh, return of intermissions to movies because that used to be a thing, especially when movies are longer. It, so it's that, still a thing internationally. Yeah. If you go see a film <laughs> overseas, like that is regularly a thing. Yeah, so that makes more sense than like the the PSA of like when what <laughs> when you can leave when the dark director is just phoning it in. <laughs> It's interesting because I I feel like your highway analogy isn't good enough. I feel like the analogy probably would be, actually, this doesn't even seem fitting. But I was going to say, you know, I I've I've talked to some people that like you know they have a DVR, they've DVR to show, and they're going to travel, but they want to have the show on their iPad or their phone or on their phone or their laptop so that they can watch it on the plane or during their travel. So they illegally download it because they, they, they pay for the cable. They pay for that show on that show. You know, they have it recorded. They just don't, uh, you know, want to take the steps of transferring it. So in that case, is it is it OK to illegally download the movie that uh, you technically own or a TV show you own? Um, but in that case, I think that's not somewhere because it doesn't hurt anybody else. Like in this case, like having a phone in a cup holder. I, I don't believe what this person's saying. I, I believe that there would be um, brightness coming from the screen as it's yeah. recording. Um, so it would <laughs> inconvenience <laughs> others. Um, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, in, in the case of, um, not to bring up a fourth argument here, but in the, in, in, in the case of, um, in the case of traveling with shows, like, is that okay? Or is like morally, obviously it's not okay legally. See, I think that's a really interesting sort of moral dilemma. Um, but and yeah, I think that's a much more interesting one than the one that this article presents. Uh, I think probably I would do so. Um, but I think morally or legally, at least, and ethically, it's probably wrong just because, you know, just make that extra step or wait till you go back or something. Yeah, I think that one is probably more okay because it's just a something that affects you and that's it. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Peter. I don't think there's any way that you could record something in a theater. Uh, maybe you could record the audio and like have your screen off and yeah. then just like if you missed a line of dialogue or something and that wouldn't bother anybody. I mean, I would I would say that that is like one shade more acceptable in my mind than you know recording the video but um, then, even that, even imagine that. listening back to 10 minutes of dunkirk with the, the hans zimmer score <laughs> no. like that, that the ticking down like you know yeah and especially that movie because the dialogue is like borderline incomprehensible anyway so. <laughs> it's the way that christopher nolan always intended us to see it <laughs> Okay, we have a bunch of news to get to. I This segment lasted longer than I thought it was going to, but I think people are going to enjoy it. But let's dive into the news. Uh, we still haven't talked about the Scarlett Johansson uh, Robin and Tug movie. Uh, HC, there was a lot of controversy around this. Tell us about it. So um, on July 2nd, it was announced that Scarlett Johansson was going to star in Robin Tug as uh, Dante Tex Gill, who was a crime boss in Pittsburgh who ran a string of massage parlors in the 1970s and 80s that doubled as prostitution hubs. But uh, immediately after the announcement of this news, uh, backlash uh, occurred because Dante Tex Gill was actually uh, identified as a transgender man, as opposed to uh, cross-dressing women as some outlets early on misidentified. So 
this uh, immediately sparked a huge uh, outrage on the internet and resulted in Scarlett Johansson initially releasing a statement that was at best dismissive of the concerns. So the concerns basically boil down to uh, Scarlett Johansson is a cisgender actress. Cisgender meaning uh, you identify with the gender that you were born with. Uh, playing a transgender man. We've seen it with Jeffrey Tambor in Transparent. We've seen it with uh, Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. And we've seen those actors win acclaim and awards for that. But the community argues that by casting actors of the gender that, or of the opposite gender that these people identify with, you, they, Hollywood is perpetuating this idea of just of transphobia, essentially, that, you know, transgender people are lying about their gender as a, as a means to sort of dupe people. And it has it's harmful in overall to the transgender community. So Scarlett Johansson, after she released this statement, went silent. But today uh, she has announced that she has dropped out uh, Rub and Tug and will no longer be playing uh, Dante Gill. Okay, so I, I wanted to ask you, HT, uh, mm. you know, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Again, another mm. viewpoint I do not do not agree with. But uh, why can't someone like Scarlett Johansson play this part? Acting should uh, encompass everything. You know, a, you know, a straight man should be able to play a gay man. A gay man should be able to play a straight man. You know, like mm. all that stuff. Like, why is it important uh, to have a transgender person in this role? Because... There are many of transgender actors now who often get shut out of these roles or don't get the opportunity to play roles such as these. And it's given in favor of actors or actresses that have a higher standing in um, in Hollywood, quote unquote. But often because of controversy like this, the movies end up bombing or they have a an inauthentic depiction of this transgender person that they're trying to depict and in the end it's like i said it was it's it's viewed as harmful as well to the community overall and it's taking away these jobs from transgender actors and there's this idea that um transgender is an identity that is not to be used as a costume it's sort of similar to how um a lot of when actors of white of when Caucasian actors, for example, play act, uh, characters who originally were Hispanic or Asian or, um, or black, Southeast or Asian or black even. Yeah, blackface too. That is something that is no longer okay anymore. And I think transgender people, like the Hollywood is beginning to realize that transgender people are in that same category. It's not the same as, um, as just playing a different uh, class or different type of person it's a it's a whole identity that is um insulting to the community to have someone who is not of that community playing them and um Scarlett Johansson actually ran into this controversy before with Ghost in the Shell playing a character that people were saying was whitewashed and is actually directed by Rupert Sanders who is also directing Rub and Tug so that is also she's not unfamiliar with this controversy which is why people were so disappointed with her uh, taking on rub and tug yeah um and it, it, another point i see a lot on the internet is that uh there isn't a transgender actress or actor who um 
is of the star power of Scarlett Johansson. So none of them would be able to get the movie made or star in the movie. But I would argue, you know, look at Black Panther. I A few years ago, I remember hearing filmmakers of note say that, like, they would they can't cast a black lead in their in their movie because they, they would not be able to get as many people. To, you know, it's not the star power isn't there to get people in the seats. And now, you know, a movie like Black Panther is like one of the biggest movies of all time. And it just took a few years to change that perception. Um, And star power is sort of an empty excuse as well, because we saw with Ghost in the Shell, Scarlett Johansson's star power was also used as the reason, but that movie ended up disappointing at the box office. So did Exodus, Gods and Kings, which cast white white actors in roles of Egyptians and people of color as well. So obviously star power is not the real reason that this is happening. Yes. Okay. We we must move on. We have a bunch of news to get to. Uh, let's talk about Joss Whedon. He's returning to TV with another a superhero series of sorts. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, Joss Whedon is going to write, direct, and executive produce and showrun a new sci-fi show called The Nevers for HBO. Uh, he said that this could be the most ambitious narrative of his entire career thus far. And The Hollywood Reporter calls The Nevers an epic science fiction drama about a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that might change the world. So, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, I think. Um, And, you know, female leads and and characters with special abilities are really, like, hallmarks of Joss Whedon's work. Uh, You know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dollhouse, uh, he's written a bunch of comics, and obviously he's directed a bunch of comic book movies, Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron, and um, he sort of stepped in to finish directing Justice League after Zack Snyder had to step away from that production. So this is going to be the first TV show that he creates since uh, or, or is like fully involved with in this in this uh, capacity since uh, dollhouse which was back on fox um and this is i think his first collaboration with hbo so that's kind of a cool thing um hbo bid out uh, or beat out uh, multiple bidders for this show including netflix and that's got to be a pretty good feeling for them too because um Netflix just snapped an 18-year streak of HBO having the highest number of Emmy nominations for any network, but now Netflix has that uh, has that title. So, um, with Game of Thrones wrapping up and you know Westworld season two not being uh, quite as acclaimed as the first season, HBO probably needs all the help they can get when it comes to creating like must-watch you know appointment television shows. And uh, working with Whedon will probably uh, go a long way toward doing that. Yeah, and it seems like in peak TV, the, you know, the auteurs we know in in the film business are kind of going to TV because that gives them more freedom and to, to, to not just free, freedom creatively, but freedom to tell a story on, you know, in a length that could never be done even in like, you know, the biggest of franchises. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm excited to see what Joss Whedon can do uh, back on the small screen. Uh, but let's move on to z- some zombie news. We've got a bunch of zombie stories. Uh, HT, you wrote both of these up for the site. Tell us about them. So the first zombie movie is called The Dead Don't Die, and it's a zombie comedy by Jim Jarmusch, whose last feature film was uh, Patterson, starring Adam Driver. And this movie will reunite him with Adam Driver, as well as several of his other frequent collaborators, including Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Steve Buscemi, and Chloe Sevigny. Uh, And it also stars Selena Gomez in her first uh, feature film with with 
Jim Jarmusch. So this is a zombie comedy that we don't know many details about yet, but it's currently shooting in New York. You know, I I never thought we would ever see a zombie comedy from from that filmmaker. Uh, You know, you mentioned Bill Murray is in that film. Bill Murray has played a uh, played a zombie in a previous film and that was uh that was zombie land and now we know that zombie land 2 is officially happening tell us about it yes so zombie land 2 is alive uh after being basically dead for 10 years since the first 2009 film uh became a cult hit so sony is officially moving forward with zombie land 2 and the original cast and original director ruben fleischer are all set to return so that means emma stone woody harrelson jesse eisenberg and abigail breslin are all set to reprise their roles in the upcoming zombie land 2 so zombie land 2 will follow the quartet as they move from the white house to the american heartland as they face off against new kinds of zombies that have evolved since the first movie as well as some human survivors so this will definitely be a different probably bigger movie since the first film was made on a t- about 24 million budget and starred all of these actors as relative unknowns except for Woody Harrelson but now they've all become essentially Oscar nominated uh, stars and are returning for this film which will be released uh, in October 2019 just in time for the 10th anniversary of the original film. Now, I think we've talked about this in the past. You know, the original Zombieland was kind of refreshing when we were in an era of, uh, you know, that uh, time when I think uh, Zack Snyder started Dawn of the Dead, like that whole zombie craze of serious, uh, scary zombies. And it was kind of fun and stylistic. And uh, what I liked about it was, you know, the whole the the whole title premise of them being in a, in an amusement park fighting off zombies, uh, you know. Ten years later, I'm finding that premise far less uh, interesting. Do do either of you have any interest in Zombieland Two? Nope. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to be flippant, but it's just like I, I can't. I don't understand why it took this long to make this movie because people were clamoring for a sequel for a few years afterwards. I don't know if it's just because the people involved with it didn't have a script ready to go and and Reese and Wernick who are the, were the writers and I think are writing back to write this screenplay maybe had to make Deadpool before and, and have that be a huge hit before they could you know get enough juice to get this thing going um, but if that's the case I mean 10 years that's like I don't know I just feel like it's too long and I've, I've lost personally I've just lost interest in in picking up with these characters again maybe they'll prove me wrong I hope they do because I always hope every movie is great but uh, I, I don't know just like right now in terms of like taking my temperature on this project and how I'm feeling about it I could not ca- I just don't care about this one I have to admit <laughs> I'm more excited for this movie than Ben. I really enjoyed the first Zombieland, and I haven't seen it since it first came out, but I still, I think, no, I don't reference it every now and then, but I used to reference it a lot. (laughs) And I I still, I think I would actually be excited to see these characters again just because of how irreverent and fun this tone is. And I think now, especially with the the, uh, dominance of Walking Dead and other more serious-minded zombie films or shows, this would be a a nice refreshing sort of stylish spin on it again i'm just wondering what the pitch is because it can't just be like we want more zombie land i feel like those 
you know, that that screenwriting duo must have come up with some kind of interesting twist on the zombie genre that, you know, hasn't been done yet. And we, we just are not, you know, we, we just don't know what that is yet. Uh, so uh, I'm interested to see or find out what that is. Uh, but let's move on to our last story. And it's a, 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 a bit more serious. That is uh, a D- Downton Abbey is getting a movie that is coming to theaters and it's gearing up to, to begin production. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, Downton Abbey, the uh, highly acclaimed TV series, um, is definitely, yeah, it's getting a movie follow-up. And this is not just like a made-for-TV thing. This is going to be a full-fledged theatrical event. And the original cast is coming back, at least those who are, you know, who survived, I guess. Um, We don't know anything about when this series is actually going to take place. Um, The original TV show, which I think started in 2010 and and really like became an American uh, phenomenon uh, or or a phenomenon for an American uh, audience in 2011, um, started in uh, 1912 that the setting began of the first season was like in 1912, right after the sinking of the Titanic. And then it finished uh, six seasons later in 1925, sort of as the middle class began to rise up in England and cracks began to form in the aristocracy a little bit. So uh like i said we know that the main cast is coming back uh, julian fellows who is an oscar winner and he won his won a bunch of awards over his career he created the series he wrote this uh screenplay for this film and brian percival who's directed um, things like the book thief and about a girl he also directed uh, the downton abbey pilot back in 2010 is on board to direct this feature film I was never a fan of this TV show. I'm I'm kind of like not a fan of like the kind of stuffy, uh, pure hit drama kind of stuff. Um, were either of you a big fan of the series, and are you excited for this for for our movie? Unfortunately, I never watched it either. I only saw I knew of it, and I heard that people who watched it really enjoyed that it was a mixture of sort of the period peace drama and also kind of a soapy melodrama as well and um i heard that it was it, it did actually go into like the beginnings of world war one as well towards the latter end of the series so i thought that was interesting um i like the stars that appeared in it i know that dan stevens came from it as well and matthew good also appeared briefly but um and of course maggie smith but uh, yeah i don't really know much about it I just feel like, you know, it was such, a, um, you know, I've only seen a first uh, few episodes of the first season, but it seemed like such a small scale series. And it is like a, you know, a melodrama of sorts. I just wonder, you know, does does this really need the big screen, uh, you know, budget? Like, what what is that going to do to that? Like, are they going to go traveling? Like, I don't understand what, uh, you know, that medium will, will bring to this story that yeah i don't know like like uh, um i always it sort of strikes me as something that they would have made in the 90s you know like these lavish uh, production designs and and you know like sumptuous period pieces you don't really see too many of those that that you know in, in modern uh multiplexes anymore most mostly mostly from what i understand is because period pieces are really expensive to make so i don't know what the budget is going to be like on this thing uh but it definitely has a built-in audience i mean this show won like 60 or I, I guess it was nominated for 69 Emmys over the course of its um, wow. six seasons. Uh, and I think it won like 15. And so, the, you know, people love the show. I think there's definitely an audience out there for it. But I think, you know, like cinema, uh, from the cinematography standpoint, and um, this could be like a really 
amazing looking movie, but I just don't know what the, um, yeah, like, like, does it deserve a movie uh, in theaters? I don't know. And are Downton Abbey fans excited to see a movie in theaters? Like, I just don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but none of my friends I feel like are like, even the ones that were watching the show, I don't feel like would run to theaters to see a Downton Abbey movie, but I could be completely wrong. Uh, Before we go, I did want to mention one last thing, and that is Ben has this great piece. We've been doing, um, a celebration of Die Hard, the anniversary of Die Hard. And Ben has this great piece uh, talking to 10 modern filmmakers, explaining how Die Hard influenced them. I wanted to give that a plug. I know we're going to be talking about it next week, hopefully on the podcast. But Ben, uh, can you tell people about it and why they should read it? Yeah, it's basically uh, Die Hard is like one of my favorite films of all time. And the 30th anniversary is this coming weekend. And I, I just wanted to reach out to as many major filmmakers as I could and see if they could tell me about, you know, how the the film influenced them, because it was a huge game changer in terms of the action movie genre. And I got to talk to a lot of really, really cool people. Um, I actually got James Cameron to send in an emailed response to me, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just wanted to plug that because it took me forever to do all the research and get in touch with all these people so it's uh one of the the i guess the project that i've worked the most on i think since i've been at slash film um but i think it turned out really really well and uh all of our diehard coverage uh, the 30th anniversary has been really great on the site so if you guys could check that out that would mean the world to me yeah i i, I don't know i still don't understand how you got james cameron uh <laughs> <laughs> that that is insane okay anyways uh ht where can people find more of your work online you can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com. I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm, at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today linked in the show notes, including Ben's diehard piece. Uh, this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. And uh, please, as always, go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.